Well, hello there. Welcome back to Truth For You. Today we're going to look at, we're going to continue our, study, our long study of Romans. Last time we looked at the benefits of the gospel. Today we're looking at Paul himself through his prayer to the Romans. Over the last couple of times we've been in the, in the prologue of the gospel, which we still are. We are still getting to know Paul over this prologue. We understand this. We understand the, the book of Romans. Those who love God want to impact the world for Jesus. One thing to know, it's one thing to know the gospel. It's another thing to be used by God to impart the gospel to others. As, we've been, as, as we have been walking through this wonderful book, my hope and prayer is that it's edifying you in your walk with Christ. So let's look at the text today. Today we'll be in Romans 1, 8 through 13. Excuse me. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, who I am, whom I serve in my spirit, in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests. If, perhaps now, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, I may be encouraged together with you while among you. Each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want to be. I, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often have planned to come to you, and have been prevented so far, so that I may attain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So as mentioned today, we are going to look at Paul through his prayer. I got thirteen points today. It's going to be kind of different, but the same ex exegetical preaching. Let's get ready to dig on in and enjoy. Number one, thankful. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because of your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Paul begins his prologue by doing what he always does in his letters, thanking God. When was the last time you thanked God for anything? Maybe around, you know, maybe around Thanksgiving we say we say quick what we're what we're thankful for. And it's the usual stuff, you know, and they are good. Don't get me wrong, you know, like family, friends, job, house, etc. But what about thanking God for your salvation, your brothers and sisters, your troubled past he brought you out of? Or maybe even your enemies. That's a new one. But Christ commanded us to pray for our enemies, Matthew 5.44. We need to be thankful to God for all. That's why Paul said first, it's a true mark of spiritual service, according to MacArthur. Being thankful for his readers is a characteristic of Paul Hill. In Philippians 1.3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. In 1 Thessalonians 1 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. You can also see Colossians 1 3, 1 Corinthians 1 4, 2 Corinthians 1 11, 1 Timothy 1 12, 2 Timothy 1 3, and Philemon 4. This is very typical in his letters, as we see. A thanksgiving is basically gratitude towards God. Why? Because everything is from God. Paul knew and understood this concept, hence, why hence why he said first do you go to god first or use him as a last resort oftentimes we forget to thank god even for the most basic of things but as god's grace lets us remember that notice here the language paul uses my god is personal just like in verse 7 as we saw last time paul isn't being greedy here saying he is my god alone but saying now he is my slash our god like I said, I discussed this last time, so if you want a refresher, check out the previous episode. 
So what or whom is Paul thankful for? Well, the text tells us the Romans, and more specifically, their faith. Faith simply means to trust. It is vital to understand that faith comes from God and and comes through God. Again, check labs for in for in-depth look at faith. But it isn't also they just accepted the faith given to them by God, but it's been being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Our faith isn't just supposed to be private private. People should and need to know about the grace, love, and wrath of God. We should want to tell the people about how God saved us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the light. Colossians 1.13, 1 Peter 2.9 The gospel wasn't just making its way to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And that's what he was thankful for. Are we thankful for someone's faith, whether new or old? Is our faith making an impact to somebody? Number two, servant. For God, who I serve in my spirit. We talked about servants in the first episode, but just refresh it means that you are utterly dependent on someone else for their livelihood. Paul says that he is a bond servant in verse 1. But here I think his meaning is a different way. Here I think his meaning is worship. True worship is obedience to God. You know, I think of the story in John 4 where the Samaritan woman is going to get water and Jesus is there. He tells us of the living water that he can offer. Then Jesus and the woman talks about worshiping God. Jesus in John 4, 23-24 says, But an hour is coming, and now and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. This is what I believe Paul is talking about, worshiping by serving. Jesus understood this in Mark 10, 45, the theme verse for Mark. Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. We serve Christ by serving others, whether they are believers or not. Now, service alone doesn't save, but service does show we are saved. So why serve anyway? Because we are to be Christ-like. Elsewhere, in 1 Timothy 1, 3, Paul says he serves God with a clear conscience. Paul wasn't sinless, but he knew, but he knew that he lived a life of servitude. He let others know that they were more important to him and they thought of his own life, Philippians 3, 7. That should be the same of us. We should let others know that they are more important than we think of ourselves. More importantly, they are important and matter to God. Like I said, service doesn't save. It leads a door to them being saved to what the next point is about. Number three, preacher. In the preaching of the gospel of his son. As I said last time, Paul was a preacher. Preaching us says how we tell the gospel to non-believers. Later in Romans 10, Paul talking about the true word of faith, not this prosperity gospel word of faith. He says in verse 13, How how will they call him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who have they not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Experiences, storytelling, drama, singing, healings won't save you. Now they can lead you to being saved, just like serving just like serving serving others. But only by the hearing of the word of God being faithfully preached can you be saved. Now there are times God does save people through different means, i.e. Martin Luther, who was saved during a, a storm, but very rarely does it happen. I believe preaching alone saves. The question is what are we preaching? Hopefully I and every preacher out there is preaching grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone. That is the message. If anyone preaches a message different from that, then it is heresy. 
False teachers and teachings have been around since the days of the Bible, like Gnosticism, even dealings with the early church. Paul tells the Galatians that if anyone preaches a different gospel, even if an angel does, let him be accursed. That is a powerful statement. In my second episode, I talk about the intense pressure from God to preach faithfully to rightly divide the word of truth, 2 Timothy 2.15. Preaching is an extraordinary service to God. Why? Because not all are called to do it. John Knox once said, I have never once feared the devil, but I tremble every time I enter the pulpit. So why is this pressure on just preaching? Well, Scripture says so, and Scripture is our final authority, because it comes from God. Sproul, in his commentary on First and Second Peter, says, If you come to the text already persuaded that it is the Word of God, and it's by the Holy Spirit, then God has to say only once that his letter was written by the Apostle Peter. The argument is settled. But James 3.1 says, Let not many of you of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that we will that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Preachers, teachers, shepherds, pastors, elders, etc. If you preach, you will endure a stricter judgment, plain and simple. Yet many preachers are treating the pulpit like it's a game show or a concert. They are failing to see what's wrong with that. And of course we pray for them. If they refuse to repent, then they may end up saying, Lord, Lord, do we not do this in your name? And Jesus will respond, away from me, I never knew you. Paul knew the seriousness of this, pre- of this and preached sola Christus, Christ alone. See 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Also, read John MacArthur's book, A Shame of the Gospel, When the Church Becomes Like the World. Many preachers may preach from the Bible, but they are not preaching the word of God. Number four. Humble it is my witness to how as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. I remember a couple months ago, I attended the Institute of Expository Preaching and saw one of my favorite preachers, Dr. Steve Lawson. It amazed me how incredible humble this man of God was and is. He kept bringing it back to Christ. When in the, pul- when in the pulpit, he was vicious as a lion. But outside of the pulpit, he was tender as a kitten. Outside of Christ, who is the greatest example of all humility, see Philippians 2, Paul was right there in humility. Paul never once said, look at me because I am the best. But instead he says in prayer, he says, how insistently I make mention of you. Paul wants the Romans to know that he prays for them daily. To grow in their faith so that they can share with others. Being humble is a command from scripture. James 4 says, James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves and not in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Jesus in eighteen in Matthew eighteen four says of humility, whoever then humbles himself as this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven heaven. Humility is a key virtue or characteristic in the Christian walk. Why? Because the opposite of humility is pride or arrogance. Remember God, whenever God speaks about pride in the Bible, it is usually negative. And so pride comes a de- comes before a downfall, Proverbs 16 18. Pride is a dishonor, Proverbs eleven six. Pride will bring a man low, Proverbs 29 23. God humbles the proud, Isaiah 2 17, Daniel 4 37, and so on. A good representation of pride is a creature of Leviathan, found in Psalms, Job, and Isaiah. The Leviathan represents pride and in, a, in a monster form. It also, but it also represents how big it can get if we don't destroy it. And Job 41 34, 
God who is talking to Job says, Look, he looks on everything that is high. He is the king over the, all the sons of pride. God is going to one day destroy everything that is against him. This includes pride. In Isaiah 27, 1, the prophet says, In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great and mighty sword, even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. Psalm 27 says, Some boast in chariots, some boast in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord, our God. It's okay to boast about God and what God has done for you and others in your life, because the glory is his deservingly. But then when we give the glories to but, but then when we give glory to other things, such as money, power, strength, lust, or ourselves, then we're not then we are not properly boasting. Are you humble as a child or prideful as a Leviathan? Number five, prayer. Always in my prayer making requests. D.L. Moody once said I must speak to God about men before I speak to God about men. Prayer is a powerful weapon. Prayer is a powerful weapon the believer can have against the enemy. Prayer is simply dialogue between God and his people. Prayer is seen throughout the entire Bible from Abraham in the Old Testament to John and 3 John 2. It's important enough to Paul to pray. Even Jesus prayed in John 17, literally the night before his crucifixion. So why don't we pray? Well, I believe I believe it's a pride thing, which we just looked at. We often say, I got this, but do we? How do we got this when most times we don't know what is going on? When we do pray, it's a last resort, but it should be our first choice in our playbook. God isn't going to be angry when we mess up. He'll be mad at us if we don't turn to him and instead turn to other things to try to fix our problems. Scripture tells us he is a jealous God, Exodus 25 and Exodus 34, 14. Paul was a prayer warrior. He includes prayers in all most of his letters, thanking God for them and their faith, praying for encouragement. Now, does prayer automatically fix things? That depends on the situation. If you're finding a temptation, then prayer can lead that temptation away. But if you're going through a season of doubt, depression, Sickness, etc. It's not an automatic fix, but it will calm you and help you rest assured that God is in control. The other day, my friend Bailey had heard some devastating news, and she shared that with me. I asked her right then and there if I could pray for her. And during my job, we prayed for her, and she felt more calm after that. Prayer is a powerful tool. In Ephesians 6, 10-20, the armor of God section, Paul lists the different weapons that we have in sin, the world, and Satan. But verse 18 is the key verse. Without it, all those weapons are nothing. And that is prayer. Prayer is the key that holds the armor of God together. So if God was is sovereign, why pray? Prayer doesn't change God's mind or will, but it does reveal his will for us. In fact, in Matthew 6, where Jesus teaches how to pray, he says in verse 10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now Jesus isn't saying this is how we pray all the time. I mean, we don't have to say this exact words. He also isn't saying that saying this prayer, will you will be saved. What he is saying, though, is that a prayer like this reveals the Father wills for us. A, a prayer like that helps us in our walk. A prayer like that shows how humble we are. I've always believed in private, quiet prayers. 
By this I mean prayers are between you and God. And if you're with a person, you, them, and God. Because loud prayers could come off as self-righteous. I think of the story in Luke 18, 9-17, with a self-righteous Pharisee who was prideful and says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, slanders, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. While the tax collector just... While the tax, just, the tax collector just echoes seven simple yet convicting words. God, be merciful for knowing the sinner. I believe Jesus is referring to Psalm 51, David, Psalm 51 Dave, David's prayer to God after the sin of Bathsheba. Prayer is so simple. Jesus says in John 14, 13-14, Wherever you ask in my name, that I will I do, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name. I will do it. But there is a catch. For prior to work, Jesus says in the verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So let me, let me end this section with this. When was the last time you prayed? I mean, some of y'all don't know how to pray. That's fine. That's, that's, there's numerous examples in the Bible. But the biggest help in the, is the Holy Spirit. He helps us to pray to Jesus who is praying for us. Yeah, he, he helps us to pray to Jesus, who is praying for us. But the biggest help of the Holy, is the Holy Spirit. Well, I just said that, sorry. Romans 8, 26-7 says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. But he has because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Remember, prayer doesn't save you, but it does show you are saved. Number six, submissive. If perhaps now at last, by the will of God. I didn't really plan it, but the last verse in Romans, but the last verse in Romans, but towards the end, Paul knows that the spirit in cease was by the will of God. Psalm 143.10 plainly and bluntly says, Teach me to do your will. It's that simple, right? Well, yes and no. No to the fact the Bible doesn't fly out says, James, you will marry so-and-so. And yes, the fact it does reveal it does help reveal it to us. In fact, I got ten ways to help find God's will. A little disclaimer, these aren't definite way of knowing God's will for you. These are what I've just seen in scripture. So how to know God's will? Number one, be saved. Romans ten nine. You must know the you must know God before you can know God's will. <laughs> Last time I talked about the benefits of the gospel. One of the benefits is knowing God and knowing God's will for your life. Being saved is the first step because it is the first step in being re- regenerated, and you must live it out accordingly. Romans ten nine says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. It's a two-way street. Many people will say Jesus is Lord, but they either won't confess it because God hasn't granted them access yet, or their hearts are still hardened and thus can't believe it. See John 6.44. Number two, Spirit-filled. Galatians 5.16. When you're saved by God, the Holy Spirit immediately is put into you and starts molding you in the image of the Son. Romans 8.29. He also starts fighting our flesh. 
Paul tells the Galatians in chapter 5, verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Later on in verse 22 to 23, he tells us the fruit that we must walk by. Because we're either walking by the Spirit or walking against the Spirit. Number three, read your Bibles. Read your Bible, 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. Charles Spurgeon once says, there's enough, dust, and there's enough dust in your Bibles to write the word damnation. Sadly, that is true for so many believers. Why? I think many believers believe the Bible is overrated, outdated, old, etc. Seems the new way of Christianity is getting signs from heaven, but those days are done since the totality of the scripture was put together, 1 Corinthians 13.10. But again, Paul says in Scripture that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Share that profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All Scripture is, is God, literally breathed out by God. God used the language of the writer to help spread his message and thus and thus bring about it and thus. Us, by reading it, it reads us. D.L. Moody once said, The Bible will keep you from sin, or the sin will keep you from the Bible. Number four, prayer. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. I won't spend too much time on this, because I just spent time on prayer. But remember, God wants us to pray, both during the good and bad times. He wants to talk to his children, but he won't give us our our greeds, only our needs. Jesus simply wants. Jesus simply says in Matthew, in verse seven, Matthew seven, ask and will be given to you. Seek you will find and knock, and it will be opened to you. If our will match God's will, then we have a will. Number five, seek wise counsel. Proverbs thirteen twenty. I'm not saying this to boast or to brag or sound arrogant, but I have the best friends anyone could ask for. They are wise, truthful, loving, funny, compassionate, and compassionate. And I hope I'm in the same way to them. Solomon knew the importance of good company, as he says in Proverbs 13.20. He who walks with the wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's plainly stated on the success and consequences of who you choose. Paul knew this in 1 Corinthians 15.33. Job had horrible friends and suffered consequences. But some friends that were good were the men who carried their friend to Jesus in Mark 2, 1-13. Choose your friends wisely. Some will fade away and some will stay forever. Number 6, Sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-8. We've run through the our study. The word sanctification means to set it be set apart. We are called to be different. In fact, in fact, Paul says in this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, you abstain from sexual immorality, that you that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion. Like the Gentiles who do not know God, we must be killing sin, or sin will be killing us, as the Puritan John Owen once said. We can't be living a life of darkness and the light. We must not be hypocrites. We must be different from the world. Why? Because one day the world will be destroyed with his, along, with his, along with his lusts, passions, and sins. Isaiah 65, 17, 1 John 2, 17, and Revelation 21, 1. Number 7. Submit. 
I talked about this last time, but submission is a controversial war because us as prideful beings don't want to submit to anyone. But just as I said, we would be different. We are to be Paul and being humble and submissive to the will of God. It's a command, as James says, submit therefore to God. There it is. <laughs> we are submitting to God or submitting to the devil. Number eight, self-sacrifice. Romans 12, 2, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, you know, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice by dying on the cross for us. We're to be self-sacrificing every day by denying ourselves, repenting and following Jesus as we are reading our Bible. With our sanctification and new spirit filled heart, we get a new mind, as Paul says in Romans 12, 2, 12 1 through 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that we, you may prove what, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. If we think like Christ, we'll act like Christ. If we think worldly, we'll act worldly. Colossians 3.2. Number 9. Suffer. Romans 8.17. Let's be honest here. Let's be honest here for a second. No one, nobody likes to experience any kind of suffering. Whether it be loss, a season of depression, doubt, stress, or even persecution. And we've all been there asking why God. Well, suffering is a part of God's will for you. Don't go seeking it, but when it comes, be ready. Put on the armor of God and lean on God to help you take care of this battle. Of course, there are things you can do. Maybe some unrepentant sins in your life, or maybe you're analyzing something other than God. We need a theodicy, a theology of suffering. It's understanding why God does or allows certain things to happen to us. So despite what the prosperity gospel says, not all good things will happen to us. A key verse is Romans 8.17. If children, hairs also, hairs of God, and fellow is here with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering bring God's glory if we stay strong with him. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Number 10. Do whatever you want. Colossians 3, 17. So the end of this is if you're doing these things daily to which you can control, then do whatever you want. God will reveal to you if you're following him or not. No matter what happens, stay faithful to him, because he is faithful to us. Paul says in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him, through God the Father. Sola de Gloria. Just a quick word. These are steps or checkboxes that these are things we should be doing, because scripture calls for it. Number seven. Successful. I may succeed in coming to you. When we think of a successful person, we think of material success. You know, big house, fancy cards, beautiful spouse and kids, a job that pays well, etc. For some, for some, success is just getting up out of bed to face the day. And that is awesome. Keep doing it. That was Paul. Even though his name is highly regarded among Christian circles, he isn't known among the world. But every day he woke up knowing he was going to face some sort of persecution or trial. But he welcomed him. He wrote four letters in prison, experienced beatings daily, almost died of starvation, 2 Corinthians 11, 23-27. He was eventually beheaded after writing his final letters, 2 Timothy. 
Does that sound successful to you? Well, it doesn't to us, but to God who witnessed this, 2 Corinthians 11.31, that is success. Why? Because Paul spread the good news of God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus. And his reward, not a brand new car or a million dollars or even a nice room to sleep in, but to enter heaven and see his Lord and Savior. That should be the goal of all believers. The prosperity gospel says differently. They say God wants to bless you, prosper you, enrich you, not to suffer or be persecuted, or be persecuted, never be sick or poor, to live your best life now. The only way this is your best life is if your next life is hell. Every believer is successful because they are a child of God. Remember that the next time you're feeling down or depressed or feel like God doesn't love you, you are a child of God and he will never leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6 Nothing and nobody will snatch you out of the Father's hands. John 10.28 One day God will give you wings like eagles to help you reach heaven. Isaiah 40.31 Because of his righteousness imputed to us, we can be bold as a lion. Proverbs 28.1 Isaiah 43 is the, is the eagle's reference. If I, sorry if I mix those up. Going back to the prosperity gospel, I imagine Paul will confront these false teachers and call them out and then preach the gospel to them. I believe he goes to 1 Timothy 6, 6-10, 17-19, as well as Matthew 6, 19-24. The prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It's another gospel, and God damns those who preach another gospel. Galatians 1.8 Wise I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift for you. Number eight. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Solomon was a wise king. It was granted to him by God. So he's not saying these things on a hunch he has or what he is feeling. He's being inspired by the Holy Spirit using Solomon's language. Solomon's knowledge, too. Paul was a pretty smart guy as well. We learn about that from his background. He was a Pharisee, and those guys are smart. I remember either re- reading or listening to a sermon about them. It was said that Pharisee would take a knife and stick it through the Torah, and wherever the tip was, that they had to recite it from memory and without looking. That is intense. I remember that is intense. I remember my. I remember at Emmaus, at Emmaus, my freshman year in my Christian life and Bible study, CLBS for short, we had to say, from memory, the chapter 1 of Ephesians. That was intense, but I can't imagine doing what the Pharisees did. But Paul was pretty smart, as I said. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. Granted, he had divine help, but still. He knew he knew words explained them falsely. Here, he wants to impart some spiritual gift to you. He wants to share his vast knowledge and help the Romans understand their spiritual gifts. He'll later, he'll later expound on those in chapter 12 of Romans and chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. I'll talk about spiritual gifts when we get to chapter 12. It's going to be a while, though. <laughs> but it also shows his spiritual gifts, but it also shows his humility again. That he wants these believers to know their gifts, the gospel can be preached. A prideful person would just keep it for themselves, not use it for the glory of God or to help others. It would be, it'd be a dumb move not to use a gift God has given you for you in the use of the glory of man. Number nine, establish.
Number nine, establish. That you may establish. The Roman Empire, the Roman Empire is considered to be one of the greatest military conquerors of all time. The city itself was a powerhouse, but it also had a it also was a godless city. So the Roman believers had a huge mountain to climb, but they had God and Paul on their side. Paul was already known for his perseverance and enduring stamina for preaching the gospel, and Romans is his theological dissertation to them. To help them become known in the world during the day, Paul's gift and wisdom is being put to the test here. Because the Romans were vicious to anyone who didn't believe in what they believed. They would take these believers to the Colosseum and have them murdered by animals, by soldiers, or even by gladiators. But Paul knows really only God is the one who can establish one and bring one down. God has destroyed many nations who opposed them. He has also established new nations out of their dust. So how can one be saved? Be established? Be saved? Be humble? Be preaching? Romans 16.25 it may not be immediately, but soon it will come. It may come in an unexpected time. Just stay faithful. Number 10. Encourager. That is, I may be encouraged together while with you, while among you. Each of us is but the other's face, both yours and mine. We can all use a little encouraging every now and then, couldn't we? Especially this year. It's been a year of down. But God still sovereignly rules, and that should be more than enough for us believers. But hey, even believers get the courage. I know I do. I'm thankful for God and His Word and His Spirit, for the family He's given to me, and the people who God put, in, and for the people He's put in my life, for the past, present, and future. The Roman believers were the same way. They probably had heard the, what the Romans were doing to the fellow believers and were scared or discouraged. But Paul was there to help them. Not just encouraged, but also to be encouraged. Paul had such a Christ-like attitude that it would rub off on anyone, and he wanted to do so with these believers. But Paul was still human. He needed encouragement as well. Encouragement can come from anyone, but when it comes from a believer, it makes it better because we know about the hope we have. Paul will later say, hope, doesn't, hope comes from Scripture. And God, namely the Holy Spirit, Romans 15, 4 and verse, and verse 13. Paul also says, hope does not disappoint, Romans 5, 5. Every person, whether believer or non-believer, needs encouragement. But every believer needs hope. When's the last time you encouraged someone to stay strong in their faith? Or encouraged someone to come to faith? Number 11, a watchman. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. I used this analogy in a previous episode, but the prophet Ezekiel was called Israel's watchman. His duty was to warn people of the incoming wrath of God. If he saw the army coming and warn people, then it was on the people. However, should he see the army and don't do anything, then it was on them. That's true for today. We need to warn people of two things. One, God's wrath, which is coming, which is far worse than any persecution and tribulation that's happened on earth. And number two, false teachings. In his letter to the Philippians, he says in chapter 3, verse 2, Beware of the dogs, beware of the, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Three bewares, any good hermeneutic student will know that it's important. He warns that false gospels are damnable causes to send people to hell, Galatians 1 8. Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16 13, be on alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Legalism, piety, worshiping other gods, and so on were all happening in the church and still do. 
Maybe we're not worshiping Zeus, but maybe we're worshiping the past or an object like money or gossiping. I believe the reason Paul is, a dog, is dogmatic in his letters is because of the false teachings that they were exposed to. A truly good shepherd will feed his flock with the right stuff, like steak, eggs, orange juice, milk, rice, etc. Stuff that help them grow big and strong. A weak shepherd will just throw candy down their, th their flock's throats and call it a day. As shepherds, for those who are called to full or part-time pastoral positions, feed your flock. Give them Jesus. Give them the Trinity. Give them theology. Give them church history. Give them apologetics. Give them the whole counsel of God seen in scripture. Preach exegetically, verse by verse, and don't be afraid to tackle a different, a difficult doctrine or verse. Use, use it to help you grow as they grow. Number 12. Fruitful. That I often, I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also. You are one of three things. You're a desert, a swamp, or a river. A desert is when nothing is taken in and therefore nothing is coming out. A swamp is, is where something is being put in and something is coming out. Or a mighty river where you, where you are putting everything in and everything is coming out. We must be faithful we must be fruitful. God commands it in Matthew 7, 15-23 and John 15, 1-11. Paul was very fruitful during his ministry. He planted many churches, made many disciples, wore a quarter of the New Testament, and I'm guessing made many enemies. That's the part of the Christian life. He was a mighty river. He was bold as a lion in preaching the gospel and thus had a ton of fruit. Now he didn't have to work. Now he did have to do work, which I believe there was another time, another name for fruit. Works didn't save him, but works do show that we are saved. And a lot of Christians or people get that mixed up. The Catholics believe that, hence, the Catholics believe that. Hence why justification by faith alone was controversial when Luke discovered it and during the Reformation. Being justified means being right in the sight of God. And, but it's only through the imputation or putting on of Christ through his perfect life and fruit on the, and death on the cross. Just like the food, the fruits are excellent. We reap, we reap what we sow. Fruits and works are vital to the Christian life. If we just sit in our house and don't do anything, then we are saved. Then, then are we saved? Our actions, thoughts, work ethics, everything comes from God. And we need to honor him by them. While doing works won't save anyone, it will lead to someone being open to being preached and doesn't maybe save if it's in the Father's will. John 6, 44. So while you may not be the preaching kind, use your works to show what it's like to know God. Number 13, soul winner. Even as, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. So last episode, we talked about how Paul was a missionary and how and, and he... And he was, which is great, but more importantly, he won souls. Winning souls is what we are called to do. When we win souls, the angels rejoice. Luke fifteen ten. My apologetics professor, Dr. Mark Stevenson, once said, Don't win the battle if you're risking losing the war. Meaning we can win the debate, but don't be arrogant or a jerk about it. Peter warns his audience about this in first Peter three fifteen. He says, Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you with gentleness and reverence. Paul says in Ephesians 
Paul even says in Ephesians 4.15, But speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him and who is the head, even Christ. We must win souls. We must do it out of love and respect. Because they are humans and they are lost just like we were. Next time you're preaching the gospel to someone, remember it is your privilege to lead them to Christ. No pressure. Yes, there is. Uh, no pressure. Actually, yes, there is. All of heaven is watching you, is watching you, waiting to rejoice for a new child in Christ. Don't give up. Keep preaching, praying, and loving them. Whew. Well, sorry for such a long episode, but I believe it's beneficial for you. Uh, please share this to someone you know who may need this. Again, have any questions, contact me through Facebook or email at truthforyou158 at gmail.com. Even if it's a prayer request, I'll gladly accept them. Thank you for listening. God bless.